0: That's the wave of the UV wave coming at you. Yeah, going to kill all that bacteria, all that corona. Greg, we had Mark Ray on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, man. That was amazing.
1: Yeah, awesome guest. Guy that you need to talk to. You need to hear from if you want to know about UV lighting. And you got to know about UV lighting. So listen to this.
0: Yeah, and if you want to know more about UV lighting, you can take LS Evolve. Ooh, baby. Come on. That'll get you going. But before we get into... Um, the com- amazing conversation with Mark Ray. Oh, that could be the podcast of the year. But you got to go back to the original. That's right. Who's the original? You know who the original is, listener. It's Energy Focus, E N E R G Y F O C U S dot com. Greggy, the original.
1: That's right. And guess what? They're doing. They're getting in the UV lighting. They're in the UV. Not getting in. They're in Come it. Come on. And it's they're coming already- out hot. New product. Right into the now, deep end. Right into the deep end. And, you know, they they took their time to develop it. They didn't just throw this out there and say, hey, we got UV. We're ready to go. They are developing it, getting the right product, and it's coming. Three new unique items, and I love the names of them. Nuvo, it's N, and a big UV a portable UVC disinfection tower. Then there's above, that's AB, UV, an integrated LED circadian lighting, and UVC air disinfection troffer. And then there's MOVE, and that's spelled M-U-V-E. That's an autonomous UVC surface disinfection robot. You got three hot products coming on the UV train. Be ready for it.
0: The marketing guy at Energy Focus must be a genius, man. Those are good names for those products. Holy macaroni, so original. Come on, yeah. go to energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S. Proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to NAILD.org. We got the best education, son. I know for sure. So get educated, get associated, get your peeps taken our programs. But before you do any of that, here comes Mark Wright. We have Mark S. Ray, PhD, back again on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Mark.
2: No, real pleasure. Thank you.
0: Greg, I, you know, I have a feeling you were texting me in that back and forth this morning on the stuff that came out. Why don't you start us off today?
2: Yeah, well,
1: um, you know, the big discussion we want to get into is this publication on UV lighting. But before we do, just give us an LR, the LRC update. Where are you guys at? What's
2: going on over there, the Lighting Research Center? What are we doing? We'll be transitioning, I think, nearly everyone, not everyone. I think uh, Dr. Narendra and John Paul and Indica will stay here, but everyone else is transitioning to Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Uh, What's interesting, their hospital headquarters is in New York City, um, but the difference between the price per square foot in Manhattan and the price per square foot in Troy is quite considerable. So we're going to create a, a laboratory here in the capital district. And of course, with much more virtual communications, we think that's going to be pretty effective, but broadly our mission hasn't changed. Um, it, it's called the um, lighting light and health research center is the new name. Um, and yet we see health in the broadest terms. Uh, So we'll continue uh, not only our work in circadian rhythms, but um, we've been doing a lot in disinfection, which we'll talk about today. Uh, For plants and animals, we're using UV to improve vitamin D uh, production. Uh, We're still going to do transportation. We're doing some very innovative work related to reducing the glare and chaos that emergency lighting on police and uh, EMS vehicles are. Um, we're always been committed to energy efficiency and sustainability. So uh, we have a very strong effort there looking at uh, control systems on the West Coast. Uh, so the mission stays broadly the same, but we think that Being associated with a hospital or being within a school of medicine really changes the game for lighting. Um, lighting has, I mean, maybe you don't agree, um, but I've always seen it as consistently going down and down into a commodity product. And yet light has such impact on people and plants. And, you know, I'm hoping that this is, uh, a real renaissance, Um, you know, much like the LRC started the first graduate program in lighting, a lot of educational programs. Now, I think this emphasis is going to transform the industry again in the, um, I'll call it the academic arena anyway. And what I hope is that we'll see some new products, new applications, but I have to say lighting's kind of stuck in the past. And I think we see this as a path to, not just survival, but uh, bigger influence socially and globally.
0: I think one of the, one of the, 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 um, one of the traps that we fall into in terms of terminology. So, you know, human centric lighting, health, these types of words we use a lot of times when people think of health, they think of curing sick people rather than increasing wellness. You understand what I mean? And I, and I think that the thrust of this integrated lighting that, you know, Dr. Figuero, Dr. Veach yourself talk about and kind of evangelize and Adam Lillian from the UL. I think we're also talking about a wellness play that, that, you know, light is so pervasive and so taken for granted that we can really utilize billions of light fixtures in the internal environment, in the external environment, if we improve those sources, we could see, you know, a 4% or a 2% or a 3% increase in in wellness, say. That would be enormous if we could do that. It would be a massive increase. So it's not just about curing sick people or specific diseases. I think it's about, in a sense, increasing the wellness of our internal environments. Is that a safe assumption?
2: I think so. Um... I'm pretty agnostic with regard to the terms, but as a researcher, you have to convert everything into something you can measure. So if, and it's true, that we show time and time again that giving bright light during the day and dim light at night will increase sleep duration, it increases sleep consolidation, and those things, better sleep, works for sick people, but it also works for you and me. So. We've kind of, in the circadian realm, we've concentrated specifically on sleep as uh, the outcome measure, which is well-being and it is health. And so, uh, but in no way am I disagreeing with you. I just Mm -hmm. am always compelled to try to bring it down to something I can actually measure. Um, And then we can use it how we want to use it for health or well-being.
0: Well, I think that when you get that, when those measurements, and I think it's happening now. Uh, we had a great talk with Adam Lillian and um, Brian from the GSA about their study, that the work they did, and they're very confident. Um, for us, we can't wait to start swinging through the trees with knives in our teeth selling this. Like, it's, like believe me, man, you know, it's, we're ready for it. Um, Greg, what else you got?
1: Yeah, well, I wanted to just kind of roll right into this publication. So what is it called? Well, I was trying to find a title. It says it's an abstract. What do you guys call in this paper?
2: well it's um it's part of our long standing series from the National Lighting Product Information program. It's called Lighting Answers, but it deals specifically with u v disinfection um, now we, we had a bit of a stretch uh, because technically four oh five nanometers is not ultraviolet but it's it's all aimed at the same sort of thing so we've um, called that uh disinfection lighting so u v disinfection so Um, so anyway, the point is that, um, you, again, we don't want to get hung up on the words. Um, we just want to make sure that we're delivering good lighting in the sense of ultraviolet, which is of course an oxymoron for ultraviolet, but that's, that's really what it's aimed at. I I like how it's,
1: yeah, I like how it's formatted in a a question and answer session. Who, Who provided the questions for this? How did that come about?
2: We did a survey of uh, specifiers. We've done that for years and years. Um, You know, I've always been sensitive to being too much in the ivory tower. You know, sometimes academics just write what they want. But we've always had very strong connections with specifiers, and they've been very generous in providing us the kind of input we need to ask those good questions. So. There is a survey results that you'll see there. Uh, For example, safety is one of the number one concerns. Um, If I put this in, is anybody gonna be harmed? Whereas they care less about, you know, degrading your watercolor on the wall. I'm not saying that's not important. It's just not what they're attuned to. So safety, for example, is one of the things that you um, get a clear picture on when you have that close connection with specifiers.
1: And at what point did you guys decide you were going to do something with this? Where where were you at where you're like, all right, we need to put something together and formalize it?
2: Well, um, as I mentioned, we've been working with Ultraviolet for some time now, um, and we uh, felt that we knew enough about safety, um, how to measure it, which the Lighting Research Center is unique in its ability <laughs> to make those to So We could provide... Um, tangible information to people. I I don't know what your impression is, but my impression is there's a lot of talk and people wanting to make sales and people have been confused. Um, and they're naturally cautious. Uh, so we've tried to make it a digestible document that doesn't compromise on accuracy.
1: No, that's what I liked about it. I, I was reading through it and, um, I think I want to ask some of the questions that were on there because we, uh, you know, the the document is obviously going to answer it a lot better than what we're going to do in a lot more detail. But I'd like to at least go through some of the questions and get a quick answer that we can talk through. So first thing it says is what is a full range of wavelengths used for disinfection and what is effectiveness of each? I mean, to sum that up, there's, there's not a quick answer to that, but what would you say to that? How would you answer that?
2: Uh, 185 to 405. Is that short enough? <laughs> That's short. <laughs>
1: there you go. That's what you need to uh, know.
0: But it seemed like there was more effectiveness for different things within that That's range. Yeah, right. Yes. That's exactly it. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, so, so when you're down, at, when it's 405, it's right on that edge between ultraviolet and, um, invisible. And, um, one of the things that we show is that you, you need a lot of energy, Electric energy to make that work. And it may take us several days uh, to mitigate bacteria, but it's not going to do anything for uh, uh, the coronavirus that's suspended in the air. Whereas something like uh, 265 or more commonly 254 has that peak absorption by nucleic acid, RNA, DNA, and that is what you want to apply uh, mostly to. those airborne viruses. Now, if you get down into um, below about 220 nanometers, you now start to produce ozone, which can also be effective, um, but again, for surface disinfection, bacteria and fungus primarily. So each one, except for UVB, which you just want to avoid, um, UVA, visible UBC in that range of, you know, 250 to 275 all the way down uh, to 222 has been touted as um, a as, uh, low penetration uh, application. And then again, down into ozone when you get below 200 nanometers or 220 nanometers, something like that. So each has its application um, and each has, importantly, a different dose required to be effective for what you're trying to treat. Mm. And that's what we try to sort through.
1: Yeah, it does a really good job. So, again, you can listen to this, but you better read that, too, in addition mm-hmm. to what we're talking here. Uh, next question it asks is the electric light source technologies that are currently on the market that produce UV and their UV region or UV spectrum. Uh, we know there's fluorescent. There's LED. and There's no fluorescent.
0: There's no fluorescent. I'm sorry. Not there's fluorescent. I right. mercury lamps. I, 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 you got it now, buddy. I got it last time. There's only mercury lamps, brother. <laughs>
2: And we correct. call them low My pressure problem. discharge just to avoid that, that very problem. So, yes, <laughs> that's what we do. It. I wasn't going to correct you, though. I was I was trying to be a polite <laughs> guest. Do that. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Thanks. So we got those. Is there any other technologies that we need to cover or know about?
2: Well, I think right now it's a cost issue, and we have a lot of experience with 254, which is the low pressure discharge peak emission. Um, but it's still off the peak of what um, DNA and RNA absorb. And so people are now moving to LEDs, uh, which are expensive, um, to deliver the same amount of dose. But on the other hand, it's rapidly evolving. And I think we'll see that um, coming on board. Then you have the excimer lamps, uh, which are different than fluorescent, but they have a different emission spectrum. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion now with uh, emissions at 222 nanometers. And the reason that people at least potentially like that is that it has low penetration depth, so you're not going to get sunburn, erythema, and there's no carcinogenic effect because it has shallow uh, penetration. Now, the downside is that UV, all UV is a line of sight technology. Most things we have in Mm -hmm. architectural applications don't reflect UV much at all. And so if you get something in a little tiny crack or crevice in the shadow of that UV, it's not going to make any difference at all. Plus, those viruses will sometimes be encapsulated, uh, not just in spit, but, you know, there will be other things that are there. And if you have shallow penetration, then it's not going to actually reach uh, the RNA for that virus. I say the jury's still out a bit. Um, one of the things you have to be particularly aware of more than skin is um, the cornea of the eyes, uh, which are particularly sensitive. Um, and so um, that's yet to be demonstrated to be, I think it's true that skin's probably not going to be particularly affected by 222, but and it's probably true that cornea won't either. But again, I think um, we we should err on the side of caution on some of these things. And again, its efficacy is yet to be completely demonstrated. It's a great theoretical idea, but I think, as we say in the report, um, stay tuned.
0: Yeah, but you're yeah. talking about specifically surface disinfection there, correct?
2: <laughs> yes. Well, no, I, I think that um, it, it can also deal with airborne viruses as well, 222. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, but it 's again a dose issue, and you have to make sure that you have sufficient radiant power and exposure time to really be effective. but you can do your sums um, although I will say that the calculation procedures are much more robust and well understood around you know two fifty to two seventy five there 's still some uncertainty about um the exact dose that would be at two twenty two uh to be effective. Again, there wasn't any science to back that up. So this is a new technology, may be great, um, and it may prove to be you know the technology. But I think we're still, as I said, staying tuned to further developments.
0: Well, we, no, do, know, we yeah. do know that 254 or low pressure or mercury lamps or whatever the terminology we're using is, we know that they're effective in tuberculosis wards. Like we know that that works and reduces viral load and exposure or whatever, aerosols, I don't know what the correct term is. But I mean, those have been used for, for, for decades and decades. This 222 is something we're looking for safe exposure on the human skin. Whereas in the past, they would point them up at the ceiling and allow the air to... P- the pass over top of it, killing any viruses in that, and then maybe shine them on the floor and then, you know, on the floor and on the air. And then there's a space in between where humans would walk in those, those places. So I I think that there, there needs to be some understanding that there are things we know for sure though. Right. And and that we know work. Um, But they, what they're, what you're talking about here is if humans are being exposed to this light, that's the difference. Like, sir, If it's pointed down for surface disinfection, what is the effect on the human beings that are intimately in that space or all the time in that space or what have you? Is that a correct understanding?
2: Yeah. And, and on the pathogen itself, like I said, uh, you may do something in the laboratory that makes sense, but then in practice, um, may be relatively ineffective. I do want to add an innovation that is worth, um, again, stay tuned. Uh, but GE Kern has produced a low irradiance UVC. uh, I believe it's around 265 nanometers emissions. An LED, uh, low power. But the way they get to the prescribed dose is longer exposure times. That's what they're assuming. Now, the question I think is that if you have to wait minutes, hours to reach your dose, it may not be as effective as the 254, which has high radiance, but you only need a short amount of time to actually inactivate the virus. But it, from a straight physics calculation point of view, uh, lower radiance and long durations have the same dose as high radiance and short durations. So in theory, it should work. But again, I think um, those two technologies, which you, know, you can't keep North Americans from inventing, um, have come about. And um, we have our tried and true, as you point out, but, you know, it may be that more effective, more energy effective is going to be some new technology that hasn't been fully proven yet. So we're, again, excited to see it and hope to continue uh, running in in parallel with those developments.
1: Now, the next question is, we're not going to get into all the different types because you can read that, but we're out there. Michael and I are out selling lighting, and we get we have been asked like, "What should I put in here if I want to do a UV light?" So, from your opinion, if if you were going to pick a, a type, what is the most effective type of UV lighting or whatever we want to call it to um, install in, in a? I know the application is going to matter and all that, but let's say your general office building, they want UV lighting. That's what they tell you.
2: Well, induct and upper air, which uh, Mike's already pointed out, I mean, are tried and true. They work. Um, I think that, um, and again, I think we're all obsessed with coronavirus and that's an airborne thing that, and you need to treat while people are in the room. Um, and so I would put that at the top of the list because we know how to handle it. We have a practical experience and it works. Um, The other things, uh, surface disinfections, we just completed a study showing that UVA can be effective for reducing bacteria on surfaces, but it's not gonna be effective for coronavirus. So you have to decide what it is you're trying to do. Um, Do you want air? Do you want the room occupied? Uh, Don't want it occupied, don't care. And you always have to remember with UV that it's a line of sight um, technology. Anything, if you wanna run it down a bus, um, there's going to be shadows. Um, and so unless you have highly reflective materials, which you do get on some shiny surfaces in the bus handles and things like that, but I, I just, I can't see it myself. It's, it, it would be too spotty. <laughs> and yeah. you well, think uh, it's really have it.
0: The other question I have is, do we really want to be killing all these microbes all the time? Like that's the, like, that's a question, right? It's like we're covered in bacteria. Like I remember the famous uh, National Geographic me- uh, article that came out I don't know, 10 years ago. We're super organisms. We're actually made up of all different manner of flora and fauna. Or I don't know if that's the right term or not. I'm sounding stupid to scientists or not. But we're made up of all different kinds of things. And so are these surfaces. And some of them are benign. And some of them are, are a few of them are actually quite dangerous to us and some of them are minorly dangerous to us and so on. But is this, um, you know, sanitation, what are, what are the effects of constantly sanitizing, uh, it's not wrong word, constantly disinfecting everything all the time with UVC, like the, the way that we, you know, uh, we started with antibiotics. And you know, if this is a miracle. There's no consequences to this. Yeah, you got a cold, take antibiotics. You got this, take an You got acne on your face, take antibiotics. What just and I, give it to the cows, give it to the pigs, give it to everything. And next thing you know, we we the 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 the, the, the viruses overcome two twenty nanometers. Now they don't care about two twenty nanometers anymore. There's a new corona v- strain that just came out. <laughs> no more two twenty. We're good to go. Like at what point? It, does the Does the disinfection go too far um where it's now we've created super coronavirus or something like that
2: well you you really ask a really good question as long as it was <laughs> <laughs> you know they say that you should make your kids eat dirt for the reasons you're talking about that you know you build up immunity and um if you Continue to eat dirt, you'll always be healthy, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But when you go to MRSA or some of these hospital acquired infections in a hospital, these things have evolved to the point where uh, I just want it sterilized, period. I mean, because you don't have any way to combat them differently. Um, and getting rid of them is what you want to do. And things like UVA applications in hospitals can be effective as a supplement to cleaning. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a hospital, I, I just want it sterilized. Period. Right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sick, I'm vulnerable. I, I don't do that. But doesn't mean I shouldn't go home and eat dirt. Um, it, but you have a whole different strain that the risks are much higher. Now, you, you've mentioned the the evolution, if you will, of these bacteria, uh, potentially viruses, to do that. The beauty of um, of UV. C is that you're going right to the replication mechanism. If you can break down DNA and scramble it, uh, then you're going to not be very likely to reproduce it, reproduce again. Um, so it does seem to be qualitatively better to go right after the DNA, uh, but if you use other types which don't do that, what we call indirect inactivation. Then you do have the potential for um, evolution of, you know, super bugs like we have with MRSA, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a risk benefit. I'm, I don't care about coronavirus evolving. I want it gone right now or I want a vaccine. Um, But, you know, you have a cold. Okay. um, Maybe I can live with that and that's all right. So it's a risk issue that you've got to ask yourselves. And right now, I think hospital acquired infections and airborne coronavirus uh are the two things we really need to go after and try to uh solve that and i think uv is is going to be a um a good candidate for uh not as you pointed out um you know the antibacterial agents which the not keeping your proper dose and making sure you you come off of it you really have a kill that is going with uv that is going to limit the ability of that Virus to replicate, uh, and so I think that's a good thing that is and is qualitatively different. Now I want to make one more point because you just had a long question, so I get a long answer, right? <laughs> um, we, we've been working plant pathogens uh, specific to things called powdery mildew, which is devastating to strawberries and grapes and so on. And what we found, not not we, but uh, our, our teammates in Norway found that if you dose it during the night. You can be much more effective well why is why would it be different than night versus day? Well, these pathogens have evolved a repair mechanism, so the blue light actually repairs the DNA so if you just give them u v at night, there is no blue light at night, obviously, like there would be during the day, so that that organism can't replicate can't repair its DNA mechanism. We have similar things going on with humans too. Uh, not the same thing as plants, and it's a little more complicated, but we do have repair mechanisms for DNA damage, um, and we do that every day uh, after exposure. So this is the other side we need to think about, um, and and more sympathetic to your point. If we are applying light or optical radiation that actually disables our repair mechanisms, that can be a real problem too, right? Uh, so we have to There's a lot more research that needs to be done. And I have to say that I think LEDs are going to make it much more practical to do the science than ever before, because we were kind of stuck with 254. We know a lot about it, but now we've got some other options. And we're exploring things right now uh, specific to promoting vitamin D production, uh, particularly in the winter in Canada. Uh, where you don't get your sunlight exposure. Uh, but we couldn't have done that without LEDs where we can actually calculate what a prescribed dose is for, for that. So I think it's, like I said, lighting's not dead. It's just we need to stop thinking of it as a commodity and begin to think where the opportunities lie for the science to deliver new, totally new applications. So I think you know it's good. Yeah. A new day.
0: I often compare it to like the, when I went to, we went to Horticon 2019, Greg, there was, mm-hmm. there was like, there was academics and there was manufacturers. There was like an industrial and a contractor crowd there. And there was like, when you were, t- when you were listening to them speak in the round table discussions, there was a meeting of the minds between those three sections of that business—the people who installed it, the people who made it, oh, and the growers as well—the four sections, the growers and the right. academics—and they they all agreed. And this is how you do it, and da 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 da. And so that they 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 were able to you know build products, design systems, install them to improve yield, um, and not just on cannabis. I mean, in all manner of leafy greens and and uh, fruit and uh, strawberries and all that sort of stuff. But I don't see that right now, both in you know, UVC and with, um, uh, with, uh, with health of, uh, you know, healthy lighting systems, there doesn't seem to be really, we're not at the point where everyone's going, yes, yes, yes. It's, you know, I, I think application specific. So you take surface disinfection, airport bathroom, what a great application for that. You know, hospitals, uh, you know, I see an application for that. You know, nobody's saying, "Yeah, do this or this is the fixture, or you know there's no sales rep coming to Atlas lighting saying, "Okay, these are the cut sheets now, son. this one is for the airport bathroom, uh this one is for the uh thing. We're not there yet, and how far out do you think we are from that?
2: Well, I was hoping you'd tell me um. <laughs> <laughs> um I'll speculate. May I I I and I please uh-huh. I don't and no one visited me from above uh recently so I, I I it is speculation. You know, I think Michael things are moving more to applications than products. Um when all you have to do is put a pancake of illumination on a flat surface the problem becomes what's the most efficient product? What's the cost and so on? But now you got to get Fancier. If if it's a line of sight technology, then what do I do exactly? Uh, I can't just stick it in the ceiling and hope for the best. So and it also takes us potentially out of lighting per se. So if your goal is to reduce um, surface uh, bacteria, you may need cleaning agents, you know, Clorox as well as lighting to to do that. And you say, well, I don't do Clorox, Um, and so you end up. You know, with an incomplete solution. So I'm of the opinion that, again, coming back to why we move to a medical school, is I think they're more interested in outcomes than they are in technologies per se, because there's an old expression, you've heard it, is, you know, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So lighting can't do everything, but in the medical, they don't care. They just want something that works. And I think I personally feel more comfortable with that application focus rather than product focus. Um, but that's speculation. I mean, I don't know. I'd like to hear your opinion. Um, well, what do you, I, Greg, I, what
0: you yeah, I think, you know, I was just pointing at Greg, but just to comment on that. You know, I think the applications need to be defined and then they need to be assigned a certain technology. OK, and I, I think. If you say like airport bathrooms, that's it. Just j- jumps in my head. It's like, oh, the stall has a thing, a sensor on it. The light, the the UVC light comes on when the space is unoccupied, and it just blasts it. And if that's 254 or 222, whatever, it just hammers it with um, that. Because there's also aerosols.
2: But what do you do under the seat?
0: Well, no. This, this is where ready? I was. Well, I, I have. A, this is where I think tape lighting applications mm-hmm. come in very powerfully. Like the whole tape lighting industry, you take companies like um, Kevin Wolf's company, Elemental LED. Oh, they have, cool, right? yeah, it, they have very, very interesting ways of deploying flexible tape light and. Um, very, very interesting. And if, if it could creep its way into that, you'd have all manner of opportunities to put stuff, to use different things. Um, so I think the application with the the technology types and then the different ways of illuminating would be, would be like, you know, that's the first thing. But the second thing is how important, and I've brought this up and everybody gives me a little like, what? I think hygiene theater might be the most important part of this. Like the biggest effect. Oh sorry the, Mike you broke, I I'm think sorry, could you? I think the biggest favor the lighting industry could do for the world is to produce hygiene theater with the light fixtures or with whatever you're deploying and that means like when you go into, the, I'm going to say the airport bathroom, or when, you, when you're when you in the train station, the fixtures that are UVC that are doing the upper air disinfection are very visible. And in fact, there's a light on them that says that they're doing what they're doing. And so people become more comfortable. Now, what does the impact have to be? I don't know. Is 2% good enough? You know, if, if we, if, or if 6%, um, we talked to uh, a lot of scientists that say it's going to be impossible to measure. The effect of uh, all these different upper air disinfection in Grand Central Station. The the variables change all the time. The temperature, the weather, the age, the light. It's not. They're all from the water business, Mark. Where they have a pipe. This this is the flow rate. This many gallons of water. We smash it with this much uh, UVC. Water's clean, right? They have all the variables controlled. They know exactly what they're doing. Whereas you're putting it into places, they're all different, and being able to calculate the effect is is largely going to be impossible for lighting distributors and contractors and, and in maybe engineers down the road, they'll be able to figure this out. But I think hygiene theater, the fact that we've done something and contributed something. Is, even, is as important as, these, as its efica- efic- efficacy. Is that the right? efficacy? That's the word I'm looking for. What do you think about that? I know it sounds like I'm pulling out the old lighting industry, want to buy the letter I, this cures uh, lighting seasonal affected disorder, right? You know, the old lighting industry marketing stuff. But I think that's important right now to get people back into shopping malls, to get people back into train stations. I don't know. Am I wrong?
2: Uh, no. Uh, not at all. I think though that there's a mindset that you alluded to that um and again, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, uh, but if you ha- if you're trained as an engineer, you, you have an equation and all those variables, as you point out, you know, you fill those in, I can control this, I can control that. But there's a whole different thing with epidemiology that simply looks at probabilities. And so if you do as you say and you have some way of assessing before and after, then you can make on a probabilistic basis that your intervention has been cost effective. You can't prove it with a firm equation, but you can do it by looking at the uncertainty so if for example um I mean that's how smoking got identified as a as a as a health risk was it was done statistically that people that smoke three packs a day or one pack a day or no, did have a statistical relationship of reduced emphysema. Um, does that mean that your 85-year-old grandfather who smoked three packs a day, has got emphysema? No. But it certainly statistically is borne out. And now I think we as a society have accepted it as a, as a, as a real health risk. So if we can work in the same way so that uv applications are a real health benefit statistically i think that can be incorporated into the psyche i want to say one thing though that uh, our observations in the field are that there's a lot of people that are just generally frightened about anything that says it's uv and if you say uv radiation which is technically correct People think oh, I'm not eating those strawberries. They they got they were radiated by UV, you know. And and I'm just saying it's not just ones and twos, but there's a significant proportion of the population that just says I'm steering away from UV. Period. Um, so if you put in Grand Central and somebody says, "Well, you're just causing us harm because you've got UV radiation in the Grand Central," you may have a significant um, dent in the acceptance of, of that technology of wherever. And I think that has to be addressed. We have, as a lighting industry, be able to talk about the safe application of UV. And it's an old technology, as we've already discussed. And it, it was in favor in the 40s and went out of favor because we had um, antibacterial agents. And now it's uh, something we have to revisit. But I think just telling the public that, it can be applied safely is is gonna be another challenge for the lighting industry.
0: Well, you see with the vaccine, you see the uh there's yeah. a massive Not amount true. of of healthcare workers. Like never mind general public. Like you have people in I, know. Like, I, I read a I read a report that sixty percent of healthcare workers in some state were refusing the vaccine. And, you know, you that, about
2: the guy that left it out of the refrigerator because he didn't believe in it, and he was a healthcare worker that took a dose of the uh, Pfizer vaccine and let it get warm, so it was was because he didn't think it was safe to use, so yes, and I think UV has a similar problem
0: yeah, a lot of people who hear radiation, they think nuclear waste right they, they don't think it's right. light, you know it's like the, um, Fred van Lierop told us that he d- don't use the word radiation ever, never <laughs> use the word radiation, talk about light, <laughs> never use that word. <laughs>
2: That's right. I, 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 that's my experience too. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, this next one, I want to spoil the answer to and ask the real question. Um, so, the, the question is what performance standards are currently available? And as of right now, there aren't any standards. When will there be standards available for UV lighting applications?
2: Well, I think Michael nailed it he it's just so much uncertainty right i mean and Mm -hmm. whatever standard you have there's going to be exceptions and i think it's going to be difficult so i think we should mentally move to the point about probabilistic uh, interventions rather than a standard you shouldn't have more than 20 joules per meter squared i mean well am I doing fungus? Am I doing airborne? Am I, you know, and and those things really get complicated. And then it also depends on what your kill rate is. I mean, are you trying to kill 90% or 99% or 99.9% of whatever viruses? And we have no ways to even detect whether we did anything anyway. So I, I, I'd say it's the wrong question, Greg.
0: (laughs) Well, here's what I would say. I, I would say that I would say that can we use the existing engineering? Because um, Oliver, I can't remember his last name, though, but he was the president of the um, uh, UV Association of the World. I can't remember what it's called. but oh, right. Oliver Lawall Oliver Lawall, right? He, he said, look, this is not even science anymore. This is just engineering. But what he was saying specifically, I think, with upper air disinfection, it's just engineering. You guys can do it right now. You don't have to wait. Right. And so I think what the, before there's any standards, I think we have to separate it out into like upper air passive up to upper air active surface. Like those are three completely different things. Right. And then there's uh, the ducting. The ducting is a no brainer. Actually, so many uh, of my customers, when they called me to ask about UVC, I would ask them, does your HVAC system have UVC in it already? And they're like, I don't know. I said, well, go find out. They go find out. And there's, like, oh, shit, bulbs have been burned out for 20 years.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You know, it's a, it's like a lot. there's a lot of this already out there, right? So, um, you know, we right. have to break it up into the chunks it belongs. And, you know, upper air disinfection is 100% safe if done properly. And it works. How much it I'll works? Impossible an to know. What's that?
2: I'll tell you an anecdote. Um I had a call from um, Boston schools, and they were confused. This is back probably in April, maybe May. And I went through the upper air thing, and he says, we'll never do that. These kids will stand on a desk. And, you know, it's one of those things you didn't realize. So, yeah, it sounds good, but kids will stand on desks and have a look at it. So so (laughs) you're just having a hard time with I mean we all believe in it and it works there's no question about it but if if you know people do stupid stuff either out of ignorance or just you know plain orneriness. I don't know uh, so
1: yeah and you also have kind of answered this already but properly and safely measure uv and verify its effectiveness and this document again gives you all these different ways you can do it is there ever going to be a practical way that I can go into a school and say, all right, look, it, here's, here's what it will do. And without having all the science and spectroradiometer and whatever else, what's an easy way I can prove our point that it works? Just tell them. Believe me.
2: Well, this is, you know, we had a lot of internal discussions. And one of the things we all look for are what we call closed-loop systems. And that is that you have a sensor, you feed back. And you adjust the flow rate or whatever it is based upon what the sensor is telling you. We don't really have any robust sensors for coronavirus. I mean, um, we don't know if we did it with the best intentions, whether we ever had it in the first place. (laughs) So until we have a way of measuring the direct effects that you intervention, whether it's lighting or it's Clorox, we're guessing. Um, about whether we wasted our time and effort and money or we didn't. Uh, so I think, in my opinion, the most important thing to work on, not just in lighting, but in our sensors that allow us to more quickly give feedback into a system to know that, gee, we got a high load of coronavirus coming in or a high probability. Now we want to crank it up. We want to do the things and we get the kids off the test so they don't stand up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's that information that you got to have that the only way you can do it is to actually look at the pathogen of interest. Um, and we, when we worked, uh, we work in Memorial Hospital in South Bend, Indiana, and they have routine measurements of um, these hospital-acquired infections, and that's what they need to do. And then if they get a count of MRSA, say, they send in a SWAT team to figure out what they need to do. That is the effective way to do this. You can't just do wishful thinking. Well, I put in a UV system in my ductwork. I guess I'm safe. You have no idea until you can actually measure the pathogen you're trying to get. And fungus, which is one of the things in air disinfection, is much harder to kill with UV than virus. And so maybe you're doing fine on viruses, but there are fungal growths in your duct system too. So it's it's not easy. I know you guys want something easy, but it yeah. isn't.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I'm very interested. You know, there's, there's nothing like that now, but you know what, you know, what was funny. I, I don't know if it was Adam that told us this, Greg, Adam Lillian or not. I can't remember who it was, but one of the people that said, that said to me, listen, you want to prevent transmission of coronavirus? He said, you got to exchange the air in a room as much as possible. Forget about purifying it, get the old air outside and bring in new air from outside. And he said, just to have that happening at the, the, the fastest velocity you can, forget about trying to clean it with UVC light or anything like that. Just exchange the air. And I think in homes, they call this, um, in your house, it's called the, uh, uh, oh, man. Anyway, there's systems air that- will, air, air No, it's yeah, not. There's I a name for it. HRV. It's called HRV. I can't remember. I don't know what it stands for. Scotty, look up what HRV stands for. So, but anyway, <laughs> what it does is it like, it, it sucks a lot of the air in the room out expresses it to the outside of the home and then pushes air, warms air from the outside as it comes in and it's exchanging the air in the space. That's by far extremely effective at eliminating germs in all interior environments, uh, airborne well, germs.
2: You're absolutely right. But it's expensive. And so if you can, for example, with a lighting technology, have equivalent air exchanges at a much lower cost, then that's attractive. But yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if you want to prevent coronavirus, just go outside and wear a mask. We're all done. But, you know, it's going to be tough to work on that way, too. So you have to think about the cost and the inconvenience also. And, you know, high air exchanges are not quiet. I mean, yeah. is that what you want to listen to all day? Uh, so so my point is there are these collateral issues. Sure. And I think, I think UV does have a place that we can have equivalence to air exchanges and understanding how, what the equivalence is, then I can make a cost-benefit analysis. But again, I still don't know whether I wasted all my money because I never had coronavirus in the first place. Yeah, and until sure we can measure that, we, we're just guessing if we've done any intervention that really makes a difference.
0: But what they, 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 they know that natural light in schools works, um, where they measured the ones with sun tunnels and the ones with windows and that w- they didn't realize that it was actually the natural light that was having the effect until the, the, the school, the classrooms with sun tunnels had an increase in performance as well as the classrooms with windows compared to those without windows. And w- that was really, what well, really, hang
2: on hang, hang on, hang on, That's okay. That's a misconception.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Um. First of all, sunlight has no UVC in it.
0: No, I'm not talking about UVC. I'm talking about better lighting. i'm not, I wasn't referring to UVC exactly. I, I know UVC like i was saying that you know they they knew that that happened. so so what what I'm saying is statistically over time, we would be able to gather data on classrooms that had no, and, and you compile that data and you compile that data like the smoking. And eventually you can see, yes, actually, there's less sick days in the schools that have the, the active or what. But I think it needs sure. to be broken up. And I think what we could deploy right now, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, is active air disinfection machines, something that sucks the air in in the room, passes it through a UVC lamp that does not show anyone's eyes, and then pushes it back into the room. We could do that right now, could we not, Mark Ray?
2: Well, it it's a dose issue. If you move that air too fast or you have too low a radiance mm. in that cylinder that does it, you're not going to make any difference. It's a, mm. it all comes down to dose. So and it depends on whether you're trying to do tuberculosis, which is a bacterium, or you want to do coronavirus. So coronavirus is more susceptible. You need a lower dose to be equally effective. But if you're trying to do TB, that isn't gonna work very well. Mm. So you have to have do a dose. Um so we actually looked at those in the report, and some of them the radiances were too low and the air velocities too high to make any difference at all. You're just hmm. wasting electricity fundamentally. Hmm. So you gotta do your sums, um, and then you make the decision. So I'm again, I don't like to paint with a broad brush, but I come back to your to your point, Greg. Uh hmm. as long as you understand what you're doing in duct systems, is it fungus, is it is it virus? Um, you, you can actually prescribe something and engineer something. Same with upper air. Um, and as long as you don't have teenagers standing on desks, it's a pretty effective way to do it. And I would say that is where we should go now. That doesn't mean that these new innovations with lower radiance and longer duration 265 LEDs or 222 excimer lamps are not going to work. That's not what I'm saying, I think. But I just think that we don't know for sure at this point. But that doesn't mean we should sit on our hands and do nothing. So I'm, I think I'm agreeing with your very first comment, Greg, that we should do something now, and that's safe and effective.
1: Yeah. A couple more questions on here. Is it, uh, that we just, we've just we talked a lot about it, but just codes and regulations that exist from UV building, there, there really isn't any, again. I mean, they're, they're developing them is what this document is telling us. Is there anything unique that we need to be aware of and be ready for?
2: No, sorry. It's most Hmm. of the stuff that's out there is tried and true. Um, New stuff, we don't have any standards for those. Do we have standards?
0: Hang on, we have standards for upper air disinfection? Like I have a Phillips catalog from the 70s that prescribes how to do it. It shows you the the watts per meters cubed or something like that was the times this. And, you know, this much UV radiation, you look at the lamp has a wattage and then a UV wattage and whatever, and it's this many watts per meters cubed. And you mount the fixtures at this height and this far, this far from the floor to shine down on the floor, this, that. And that's super effective as the air um, goes through the room. It, it kills anything that passes above that. So we have standards for upper air disinfection now.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've been applied. Um, Rich Vincent um, has done a lot of work. Uh, he's also at Mount Sinai. And, you know, those things have been around a long time. I mean, I uh, can't remember the guy in Boston he worked with, which does it. So, and I believe those are all fairly well prescribed about yeah. what you, in this case for tuberculosis. And they were also looking for anthrax for, you know, this sure. was in like in 2002, right after the 9-11. People worried about that too. So it, it, again, there's some uncertainty about viruses and bacteria, and qualitatively, viruses need a lower dose and bacteria, but not always. There's an overlap and so on. So it depends on what you're trying to kill and what kill rate you, you're looking at or inactivation rate, I should say. So, but yeah, I think those are all pretty well prescribed. And you know, the the people at Phillips, I mean, in the 1990s, that sharp people. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Um, So I'm sure they and and we used a lot of the stuff from Sylvania uh, early on for our water disinfection. So Bob Levin, who was their chief scientist, um, he he, he's probably a world expert on uh, UV and they put out a document. So when I edited the IS handbooks, we relied a lot on the Sylvania data to uh, to put in the in the handbook. So but. I hate to say it because I'm one, but old timers aren't around anymore. And now all of a sudden it's like UV is a new thing, but it's not. Um, uh, David Sliney was talking about uh, UV in a recent webinar. That was excellent. Uh, But he's also been around a long time and has a long history of understanding how that technology can be applied. Um, So I, I think that upper air is pretty well Defined and what you need to do. Uh, the manufacturers know it. The scientists know it. Um, and that's where I'd start for any, um, any treatment for coronavirus. Not for surface disinfection. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's not what we're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other question here that I just want to touch on, too, is um, the potential of UV lighting. And again, it's going to depend on the type you're using, causing any uh, damage to surfaces or objects over time. What is your quick statement on that?
2: Yes, it will. Unless you put in fixers, which, for example, outdoor plastic, um, you know, chairs and tables and stuff, you you can put in these uh, chemical additives that are resistant to UV. But if you don't do that, and most of indoor stuff isn't specified that way, um, then you can have a problem. Um, But you don't know. I heard an anecdote that you know some of the tubing in hospitals is sensitive to UV. I don't know that to be true, uh, but we we put rubber bands under um, ozone in less than an hour. They were gone. I mean, so you, you have to be aware of what UV or even short wavelength visible will degrade. There's a high energy there. So, for example, in art museums, um, it isn't just UV, it's short wavelength visible that is also can be very damaging to um, materials like watercolors. Um, there are ways to try to measure that, and we've done that in that recent report we did in the hospital. Um, but it's, um, once you have your equipment in there, you don't know whether there was any additive put to it or not. You just know, don't know. But I think if UV becomes more common, we'll see more of these chemical additives uh, to prevent, you know, riddle and fading,
1: and then it also touches on energy implications. Anything in particular we should need to be aware of with UV lighting and energy?
2: I, I I'm a believer that if the you should use energy if it's effective. <laughs> um, I'm not a zealot that says you know zero energy use and so on. But if you are looking at long wavelengths, UVA and visible, you're going to need long doses to be effective. And of course, long doses means you're operating it for a long time at relatively high radiances. So if you're looking at bacterial interventions, you're going to have to spend some energy uh, to really be effective uh, that way. Uh, So um, I'm okay with that. Uh, But you need to be aware that it will be an energy penalty for um, indirect inactivation of bacteria and viruses on surfaces.
1: So after going through all this, is it safe to say that this abstract and this whole discussion is evolving and will continue to evolve?
2: Yeah, but I like to think, Greg, that it's it's a stake in the ground. Obviously, it's not a final answer, but I do think it gives the lighting community something to... You know, a foothold on what to do next, and you know, I think the LRC's always been philosophy is always translational. Take the best science, try to make it useful, and I think this document is that. But it's definitely not the final answer. I, I would never claim that. And again, there's a lot of knowledge out there. Um, people like David Sliney who know a lot about this topic, and he's a real resource for this.
0: Well, Mark Ray, it's almost been an hour. I can't believe it. I'm looking at, I just looked at the clock right now. We've spoken for 54 minutes, if you can believe it. Well, uh, you've got all
2: these questions. What what can I do? You <laughs> <laughs> need this
0: talk time. Woo! Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate the work that the LRC does and, and what you've done. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, response. to The lighting industry has been fast, but measured. And I'm, you know, we've been monitoring and watching it. And it seems like the, well, UVC. it's like one of these things, you have this, this bomb goes off and it explodes, right? You think, oh my God, there's going to, and then, you know, like the the bubble that bursted in 2000 or whatever, there's always something left that's really legitimate after Mm. the bubble goes off, you know, and I think that's what we're starting to carve out as an industry distributors and contractors and scientists and manufacturers. I have one more question. Are we missing manufacturer leadership in this business on this issue right now? Like, wouldn't it be great to have GE, Fil- Sylvania, and Phillips just cracking away at this like, the way they would in the old days?
2: Um, well, I'm not – I can't speak f- for manufacturers in total, but we do work reasonably well with GE Current, and they are innovating. Um, are they? Yeah, they've got a UVA product, and they've got a UVC product. Um and of course, you, you have healthy lighting, which is using the excimer lamp. So uh, I'm not sure about leadership as a whole industry, but there are certain companies that are really trying to make a contribution. Um, and then there's some that don't know any better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's like I said, these examples, these four standing ones that have a UV lamp inside, um, and then you pass the air over so fast, it's not going to be very effective at all. Now, good intentions, but um i don't know is that a lack of leadership or just a lack of understanding um so i i don't know but i do know that um some exceptions uh like ge current i i think they have really good technical people and they're trying to do the right thing
0: i know signify is working on it too but you know we're coming up on an hour now mark ray thank you for coming on the show and talking to us great yeah you guys else. are great
2: i mean yeah. you make a big difference to the industry and um you know uh, I just flattered that you asked me, um, so maybe we'll do it again sometime.
0: Ooh, Absolutely, a, that could be the best compliment we've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Shame
2: on everybody else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. The original coming out hot with the UV sun. That's E N E R G Y F O C U S dot com, Greggy. Woo!
1: That's right. They're getting in the UVC lighting. They've got some product coming out hot and ready. they got the best names in the business by far, integrating UV in all three of their products. It's Nuvo, a portable UV disinfection tower. they got Above, which is going to be Above you. I get that. And it's going to be a disinfection troffer, LED troffer. And then they've got Move, an autonomous UVC surface disinfection, a
0: robot. Come on, man. They've got robots. You're, I thought you were a robot when I first met you. Oh, man. Energy Focus coming in hot. That's a science-driven company, though, too, man. Don't forget. They got scientists it's working cool. there. Legit. John Davenport. I can't remember what the other fellow's name is. I'm just dropping it right now. There's another one there as well. But, man, they're science-driven, man. And so yeah, you got- when you're, when you're thinking about product like this. You need science behind it. You can't just slap a label on it and throw it out to everyone. You need science. You know why? Because bad, well, bad lighting does kill people actually. I shouldn't say that, but I was going to say in the past in the lighting business, if you did a crappy job, it didn't really matter that much because people could still see kind of, right? Yeah. But with UV, you got to get it right. So you got to go to the original E N E R G Y F O C U S -S 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 dot com, And of course, members, of course, the members of the national association of innovative lighting distributors where the best education resides with ls evolve and um of course mark ray hey man what a pleasure to talk to you uh, honor and we really appreciate all your work at the lrc and everything you're doing um greg that was an awesome interview that was great always good to talk to him and gotta
1: continue on and do it again
0: and of course you our colleagues who listen and join us on this the silent speaker we love you guys god bless <laughs> Written on the rectory wall There's a sign there for all You are lost, the Lord is there to find you